very good morning. Welcome to www.godsredeemed.org. We're so glad to have you this Sunday morning. Uh, we're glad that you joined us uh, in our study. This is going to be our last lesson on 1 Corinthians, the letter that we began studying uh, approximately three months ago. And today we're going to be wrapping it up. And I want to tell you how much I have enjoyed uh, leading you in this study, and I hope you've gained a lot as a Christian uh, at whatever level you are, uh, that what Paul has uh, spoken to us, uh, that he wrote to the church at Corinth, was for our edification and for our building one another up and for our encouragement, and I hope it's done that uh, as I have presented it. We invite you to join us here at Northfield Boulevard on 2091 Pitts Lane here in Murfreesboro for our regular uh, Sunday worship this morning. Uh, we'll begin at 1030. You may uh, look at the home page of our website and see the COVID uh, guidelines that are required to worship inside the building. You may also worship with us in the parking lot and the comfort and security of your own car listening to FM 106.3 on the radio. However uh, you want to listen, and you can also listen on here, uh, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you uh, see what we teach, listen to what we present from God's holy word, and see if it is indeed uh, the word of God. And if you have questions, we'll be glad to answer those. We're going to be uh, studying in chapter 16. That's the last chapter of 1 Corinthians this morning. We're going to be talking about the collection. And you remember that much of their uh, pattern had gotten askew of what was originally presented to them by Paul and uh, other teachers. Uh, they had allowed these speakers to come into their congregation uh, and lead them astray through uh, Greek oratory and their way of pre presenting lessons. And so uh, this was another thing that had to be tied up. Paul has addressed their singing. Paul has addressed their praying. Paul has addressed their preachers. Paul has uh, addressed the Lord's Supper. And now the other thing that we do every Lord's Day every first day of the week is to lay by in store. He's going to talk to them about that. And then he's going to make some closing comments. And if you will uh, be willing to uh, stay tuned when we finish, uh, we're going to have a, a review of what we've studied this quarter. I hope it will be beneficial to you. Paul brings his book to a close now in chapter 16, and he wraps up with uh, several closing remarks. We can break this chapter down, as we have other chapters, into about five or six uh, different areas. We're going to talk, first of all, about the instructions that Paul gave for the collections of the poor saints at Jerusalem uh, in verses 1 through 4. Then we're going to look at what Paul's plans were to go to Corinth and to work with them further uh, to discuss some of the other things that he needed to talk to them about. We're going to look at his comments uh, about Timothy and Apollos. You remember Timothy is already being sent to the church at Corinth through Macedonia and on down around the land uh, route rather than going uh, across the Aegean. And so he's already on his way. And Apollos, he's going to tell us uh, some things about Apollos. And you remember this is the same Apollos. Uh, that Priscilla and Aquila had worked with, the one that was an eloquent uh, speaker and did much uh, for the work of the gospel. And then we're going to look at some exhortations that he has to the church at Corinth. And then he's going to uh, give some directions concerning Stephanus uh, and others. And finally, he's going to con uh, conclude his letter with some salutations. Uh, warnings and closing remarks. So let's get into these instructions that Paul gave uh, to the church at Corinth and the same pattern that we use, the same example here, uh, because Paul not only gave it to the church at Corinth, but it was to be in all the churches. 
uh, and uh, in many of them it was already there. And so he wanted to raise a collection among these other churches, uh, which he had established on his missionary journey, and he wanted to help the poor saints at Jerusalem. And there's several pertinent facts uh, that Paul wants us to understand uh, about this collection. It was an order. Paul gave an order there in verse 1, and he commanded both the churches in Galatia and the church at Corinth to lay by in store there on the first day of the week. And you might note that this is the only text in the New Testament that gives us a pattern for how the church is to raise its funds. Uh, not through any uh, bakery sales, not through any uh, raffles or bingo or any other way. It's to be done by the saints from what they have been blessed with. And there are a number of texts we could look at to show how churches spent the money they collected. It was for the spread of the gospel, of course. And much was used to support preachers preaching, to uh, support uh, those in foreign lands who were uh, doing ministry for uh, the edification of the saints. Uh, they used the money to rent places we find in Acts to meet uh, once in a gymnasium, and they rented that for a year or so. Uh, they also provided for the benevolence of the saints, for the needy saints. And Paul, later on to Timothy, uh, tells him the requirements necessary uh, for that benevolence. But in general, it is benevolence for the needy saints of the congregation. Uh, that are truly in need. They don't have any support from family. Maybe they don't have any family uh, to support them. But members of the congregation, both as a congregation and individually, uh, can do that. We can look back at Acts 4 and 6 and 11 and see passages uh, about the needs of the poor. Uh, Philippians and 2 Corinthians, we can find passages where uh, this money was used to support gospel preachers, but this text alone gives us specific instruction on how the church is to raise the money. It's to be given by each uh, individual member as he or she has prospered, and consequently, uh, this divine pattern of worship includes taking up a collection so that there will be funds uh, available uh, to support uh, not uh, any sort of great treasury, but to support the needs of the church to continue doing what it was established for, and that is to spread the gospel and uh, to uh, encourage and build up the saints and to support the needy uh, saints. And so this was being raised to help the poor uh, saints in Jerusalem. The second thing that Paul wants us to understand that this collection was to be taken on the first day of the week. It was to be done every first day of the week. Uh, he didn't want this to wait until he came. He wanted it to already be uh, set aside. And some people have uh, made a comment about this particular uh, verse, and they said, well, uh, Paul just meant for everybody just to Put some in your piggy bank, and then when he came, just break it open and give me what you got. That's not true. Uh, Paul says that's the very thing that he hoped to avoid when he came. And so we look at this idea of the collection. It was very important. It was for every church, not just uh, the church at Corinth and the church at Galatia, but it was to be a part of the divine pattern of worship. Thirdly, uh, this collection was to be taken on the first day of the week in verse 2. Uh, this is the day in which the church assembled. What better time to uh, collect money than when the saints were there to worship God? And Paul's not saying, although you don't usually come together on the first day of the week, come together on these first days of the week and, and take up a collection. But what he's saying is, since you already meet, since you're already there, uh, with each other in fellowship, uh, take up a collection and uh, to give to these uh, needy saints in Jerusalem. The fourth thing, he says, is that we should give 
and the saints there in Corinth should give in proportion to how you've prospered. The collection gathered for the saints in Jerusalem would be taken to Jerusalem by messengers, and the respective congregations would select someone to carry and oversee uh, this collection that they had taken up. And if Paul uh, judged it suitable, he'd accompany the collection, which he did, uh, we find in Acts 20 and 21. He accompanied this collection to make sure that it got to the people that it was taken up for. So Paul continues on in verse 5 through 9 to talk about his plans to go to Corinth. They had uh, derided Paul a bit because he had sent this harsh letter, and it was uh, one that Paul admitted was hard, but it was needed. And so he had desired to come to them, and he was making plans to do just that. And when he got there, he would tell them the same thing in uh, person that he had said in his letter. So he was going to leave Ephesus and go through Macedonia, and that's kind of a route. Uh, when you leave Ephesus, you go up, and then you go across Macedonia, and then come down the uh, uh, come down Greece and and go to the isthmus there at the end of Greece in the southern part of uh, that area, and there Corinth was on that little isthmus. And he had made the statement there that he hoped that the uh, church at Corinth, those brethren, uh, would bring him on his journey. He's saying, I hope you'll help me. I hope you'll contribute or take some of the money that you're collecting and use that to support me. Uh, he didn't want to have to make a passing trip uh, through Corinth. He, if he left by Ephesus, he didn't want to go by sea. He wanted to stay, uh, he had hoped, as long as he needed to in Corinth. And so that was his plan. Uh, he wanted to stay with them for a good while. Uh, and what he said was he intended to stay at Ephesus until Pentecost uh, before beginning this trip. He wanted to do that. He wanted to, to stay there uh, in verse 8 because this great door of opportunity uh, had been opened to him there. And I think that says a great deal to us. You know, we make plans, and we may make plans for a vacation to this place we've always wanted to go, but what would you do if a door of opportunity came up during that week that somebody asked you, would you teach me the gospel of Jesus Christ? What would you do? If you had an opportunity to speak to a group about why you believe in Jesus Christ, and why you believe that he is the Son of God, that he, in fact, is God, what would you do? Well, Paul says, I'm coming to you, but you've got to wait just a minute because here's an opportunity that's been opened for me there in verse 9, and I'm going to take advantage of it. And I hope we would all answer the same thing. You know, I'm going to do this, but something has come up that requires me to be more concerned about souls for Christ with teaching those who do not know Christ that takes precedence over what I'm going to do. And so that was his, his aim. Thirdly, he uh, had made comments concerning Timothy and Apollos in his letter in, in verses 10 and 12. And what he, uh, well, I dropped something there. Excuse me. Uh, what he said was that, as we said before, Timothy's on his way. Timothy's coming down through Macedonia and through Greece, and, and he expects that uh, this letter that they're reading now in the congregation is going to get there before Timothy. Uh, you look in chapter 4 of Acts, or chapter 4, rather, of uh, 1 Corinthians in verse 16, and back in Acts 19. And so, until Timothy gets there, he instructed the Corinthians to prepare to welcome Timothy uh, among them because he was faithful to the Lord. He's a brother. You need to welcome him. You may not know him. You may not be familiar with him, or you may, but whatever the case, and wouldn't it be wonderful if every congregation had saints waiting at the door or uh, after services to 
uh, surround our visitors or at the beginning of service to surround them and make sure they have all of their needs and all the information as to where the restrooms are and the water fountain. Uh, if they're looking for a, a certain person, those who come into our congregation, those who uh, are visiting, whether they're saints or sinners, whether they're members of the congregation, whether they're friends, or whether they're total strangers. Paul is telling them, here comes Timothy. Welcome him as a brother. He's faithful to the Lord. We need to do that whether they're faithful to the Lord or not, because who knows whether or not uh, we can bring them to the understanding that they need uh, to learn of Christ. And he also told them uh, that he was sending Apollos to uh, come work with them. I, I think of all the people who I would like to come uh, and help if, God forbid, our congregation got in such a mess as the church at Corinth. Even though he was young, even though uh, he may not have been known or he may have been known, uh, here was Timothy. Timothy uh, was just like Paul's son. He'd worked with him. He'd labored with him. And now here comes Apollos. Apollos had been taught the gospel, even though he was doing a, uh, what he thought was a good job in preaching the gospel. And uh, he was not preaching uh, the gospel because he had not been baptized into it. And so Priscilla and Aquila worked with him and he had been baptized uh, by John, but he had not been baptized into the Christian baptism of, re of remission of sins. Uh, but Paul, Apollos said, I can't come. Well, that had to be uh, disheartening for uh, Paul. Timothy, yes, I'd love to work with him. I would have loved to work with, with Apollos. But in verse 12, it says he was unwilling to come at the present time. Now, uh, he was going to come uh, when it was convenient. So uh, maybe he was already engaged in a work and he had to finish that. We don't know. We're not told. And so I'm not going to speculate. But he was sending Apollos. And Apollos would come just as soon as he could. And they needed to wait for him. So we look at the exhortations Paul made in verse 13 and 14. And there are five of these located here. And listen closely to these because they apply to each of us and each congregation and each individual Christian. First of all, in verse 13, he says, watch you. Are we watching? Well, what are we watching for? Well, are we watching for uh, false teachers? Are we watching for uh, class struggles, cliques, lack of love, competition, Christ to come? If we are, then not only do we need to watch, but we need to stand fast in the faith. And when we have teachers who are teaching solely on the basis of their ability to speak, and not on their knowledge uh, and content. We need to stand up and put those uh, to silence. We need to stand fast in our, in our faith. How do we stand fast? Well, that again, that's a military term. It means for the soldier to stand exactly where he is in that position and don't move and don't let anybody move you. We do that by study. We do that by attending classes. We do that by listening to preachers and teachers. We do that by asking questions in classes, men and women and children. Stand fast in the faith. I like this next one. Quit you like men. Now that's an old uh, archaic word. and You don't use that uh, phrase too much before breakfast. Quit you like men. Uh, it means to conduct yourself like men. Act like a man. They weren't acting like grown-ups, and we discussed that. They were uh, being very childish in their selfishness, uh, in their desire to exhibit publicly their uh, spiritual gifts, not for unity and not for edification, but for their own boasting, you know, to say, look at me, look what I can do. Uh, so he says, conduct yourself like a man. 
and be strong. They were weak in a lot of things. They were weak in their behavior. They were weak in their pattern. They were weak in the way uh, the stronger Christians behave to the weaker Christians. And so he says, do all things. And in all of that, just as we talked about in chapter 13, it's got to be done with charity. <coughs> Excuse me. It's got to be done with love. Love ensures, love seals that your work is acceptable to God and that it is appropriate to your brother, to your sister, to your neighbor. He then gives directions concerning Stephanus and others there in verse 15 through 18. He instructs the, the members there at Corinth to be submissive. And, you know, they were far from that. They were all boastful. They were prideful. Uh, they were stepping on top of each other, singing and exhibiting spiritual gifts and talking over one another. And he says, you need to be submissive to those who are devoted to the Lord. We need to be a part of the worship, not an in individual outstanding uh, part of the worship. But we need to blend in with our hearts to form one. We need to blend in with the body to form one. Just as Christ is one, just as the church is one. And so he says, you need to be kind of like Stephanus, the first fruits of Achaia. Uh, they had addicted themselves, we might say, to the service of the Lord there in verse 15. And he was glad, Paul said, that Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus had come to see him while he was in prison. Or they came to see him in different occasions. And they supplied what they were unable to give him uh, when Paul was with them. So they made sure that Paul had what he needed in order to do his work. And those three men, you need to look at them as examples. And they did need examples. They needed to look at strong, faithful men, just as we do. We need to look at strong, faithful men and women and pattern our lives after Christ as they do. That's what Paul said. Imitate me. Why? Because I imitate Christ. And so these three men probably uh, were the ones who took the letter uh, that Paul wrote to Corinth and, and maybe brought a contribution uh, to help him in his work. And from, uh, from them, I think he probably learned a, a great deal about the church, not just the things that we've discussed. Uh, but he learned about the problems in the church, and he sent uh, answers to those questions that they had. You remember when we studied those about midway, uh, those questions about marriage and those questions uh, about uh, meats offered to idols and other things. They had refreshed Paul and his spirit simply by coming unto him. And so he's telling the church, you need to acknowledge them. You need to give them a pat on the back and you need to encourage them to continue, but you also need to look at them and you need to find out what they're doing and how they're doing it. And you need to do that, too. So as he finishes up the letter, he gives uh, these concluding salutations and warnings and closing remarks uh, very briefly there in 19 through verse 24. He sends greetings to the church at Corinth from various churches in Asia. And especially he remembers Priscilla and Aquila, uh, two saints that they knew. And he sends greetings from all the saints. We ought to do that. You don't see that very often. Sometimes when we get letters uh, from various uh, preachers who are overseas, maybe in Africa or uh, other parts of the nation uh, here, uh, they will see, uh, give us greetings and wish us peace and grace as they begin their letter and telling us the things, wonderful things they are uh, doing. And Paul uh, had someone here with him who would uh, listen to Paul as he spoke and, and dictate the things that the Holy Spirit guided him to do and write these things. But at this point uh, here, Paul takes his pen in his own hand and he closes the epistle. And he adds, if any man love not the Lord Jesus, then let him be 
anathema, maranatha. Now that's another word we don't use very often, but we look at what this means. You hear some people using it, and a lot of times when I hear people using this phrase, it's not at all in the context or meaning that it was. The word anathema, something is anathema, is something that's delivered up to divine wrath, dedicated uh, to destruction uh, and brought under a curse. It's not a good thing. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Well, what is the second word? Maranatha. Maranatha is an Aramaic term composed of two words. Maranatha, our Lord come. It's an appeal for the Lord to come. And you look at how he says that. If anyone loves not the Lord, what he's saying is, let him be delivered up for divine wrath and come, O Lord, in judgment. There's an appeal for Christ to come uh, in judgment against those who don't love him, who don't receive his word, who are not obedient who take the pattern and change it a, a bit here to suit their needs, who tread all over uh, decent, decency and orderliness. And so Paul's uh, closing here is asking that God's grace be with them. And he prayed for them. He loved them. Otherwise, he wouldn't have written this harsh letter, I don't think. And he tells them that his love will always be with them. Now, uh, those of you who are reading from the King James this morning, uh, you may have a little subscript uh, at the end of that letter that says it was written from Philippi in, uh, uh, in your footnotes there. But if you look back in uh, chapter 16 here in verse 8, it plainly shows that uh, this was written from Ephesus. Again, man made that note, uh, certainly not the Holy Spirit, but sometimes men put notes down and uh, not uh, understanding and not knowing uh, make mistakes and make errors. That is not an error of scripture. That is an error of man and an error of the proofreader uh, or whoever had an uh, had a hand in printing that Bible, it was not an error on on the part of God or the Holy Spirit, and so it was written from Ephesus. That concludes our study of chapter 16 and our study of Ephesians. So let's go back, and again, just briefly, I want you to understand that if I go too fast in this review. We have all the PowerPoint slides with references, uh, with the chapters and verses noted for those uh, things that were said. And you may uh, review those on your own. And you may go back and uh, there are PowerPoint slides here with the review. Uh, some of them may not be on the original, so you can always look at this. So without any further ado, let us go uh, on to the review. 1 Corinthians, the letter was written to this group who were located on the Isthmus of Corinth, as we said. It was a shipping and trade city. There were many comings and goings uh, for shipping and uh, personal uh, transportation uh, in and out of the Aegean and, and on over uh, to various parts of that part of the world. Paul had worked with the Corinthians for over a year and a half. He had laid the foundation with them by teaching the gospel uh, to them and even more during that year and a half. He uh, liked to consider himself uh, the father or the builder of the church at Corinth. And you can imagine how disappointed he was uh, when it went bad. So we begin by looking at all of the problems here uh, laid out in this first letter. And the first four chapters are dealt with factions or divisions. Their division was simply uh, due to carnality in chapter three. And thinking too highly of men, looking at these men who had a great reputation for speaking and could hold captive an audience. 
but they had taught things that were not of the scripture. They had taught things that were not of the spirit. And certainly they had taught things that Paul had not talked to them. And it manifests itself. All this division, this breakdown of unity, this breakdown of love, manifested itself in several other uh, incidents uh, that we're going to talk about uh, here shortly. Uh, but it's what was the reason, it was the focal point of why they were failing. They had gone from spiritual understanding and they'd gone back into the carnal world. Uh, there were brethren who were taking each other to law and Paul talked about how embarrassing that was, not only for the brother, but for the church and how they ought to uh, be able to settle things in the congregation to find a wise man among them, to settle these things quietly, honestly, and righteously. They were divided over eating meat, sacrificed to idols. You had some who thought it was okay uh, to go into a temple and eat meat on these days when they would invite the public into these temples and uh, have a meal. Uh, or they were concerned over those who had bought meat that was offered to an idol in the market, and they were eating that in their homes. And so there was great concern, all of this division leading to their not understanding plain facts. They were even separated. This division manifests itself further in the Lord's Supper and in other uh, places in the congregation along class lines, the, the haves and the have-nots. And you look at the uh, Lord's Supper there in chapter 11 that we talked about. You had the people over here who had this fine, luxurious meal, we might say. In other words, they were getting uh, full and they were getting drunk with what they had to eat and drink. And then there was this group over here who were supposed to be participating with the Lord's Supper, who weren't participating with these rich people, and they barely had enough to eat. And so... Division ought never to be in a congregation because the only thing that's going to reign uh, is confusion. And when we looked at these spiritual gifts, there is no better picture of confusion in a congregation, confusion in a worship service, confusion in the exercise of these spiritual gifts than is found in those three chapters, 12, 13, and 14. Paul says the gospel is the wisdom of God. It's not the wisdom of man. And so these men who were teaching and dividing were not teaching the gospel because the gospel would appeal to those who were searching for the truth. The gospel would appeal to the poor. The gospel would appeal to uh, those who truly uh, wanted to find out the good news of Jesus Christ. And when you, Paul uh, went on to talk about several instances there, his preaching and others preaching, uh, that shows even those who are uh, faithful Christians, their action, their changes, the change in their lives, all of these things had demonstrate that it was the wisdom of God, not men. And Paul reminded them, I didn't, uh, you didn't listen to me because I had flowery rhetoric. Uh, rhetoric. Or crafted, uh, carefully crafted speech. I wasn't one of those speakers who could speak good. Paul always said he couldn't speak very well. Reminds me of Moses. You know, Moses said he couldn't speak very well. And <clears throat> with Aaron's help and God's help primarily, uh, he did a great job. But what influenced them to hear the gospel and be obedient was the simplicity of the message of the gospel. That's what grows congregations. That's what spreads the gospel. It's the simple message of the gospel. The Old Testament pointing to Christ, Christ coming, Christ fulfilling all prophecy, and Christ being crucified, buried, and risen. If Christ didn't rise, and he'll talk about that in chapter 15, then we all might as well just go home, turn the computer off, and play some games or do whatever we need to do. But the thing that influences people to become Christians 
is not a concert. It's not bands. It's not a, uh, a fellowship dinner or anything else other than the simple message of the gospel. Because the gospel is God's wisdom, and it's woven throughout these, these first uh, few chapters and even on through the rest of the letter. The one who's carnal, the one who stays in the world, can't understand the things of the Spirit. Just can't. And some of your friends are, I don't know, uh, those of you who are listening, uh, maybe some of you, I don't understand how baptism takes away my sins. Just going in the water and, and dunking under and coming up and my sins are all forgiven. Well, I don't know either, but I do know it's through the blood of Christ and it's by obedience and faith. And God says it's so and the Holy Spirit says it's so and Christ demonstrates it so. But you see, we have to bring ourselves, Paul said, out of this carnality that's destroying the congregation and it's destroying churches. And it's destroying the Lord's church in various places because we're trying to think, how can we win people? What can we do to increase uh, our numbers, increase the collection? Preach the gospel. Preach the good news. Preach Jesus, the same thing Philip did to the eunuch. After all, Paul and Paulus and all these uh, other uh, preachers, Peter and, and others, they weren't in competition, and preachers aren't in competition today. If they are, then the elders need to be doing something about that. All who preach the gospel, all who teach the gospel, are working together for a common goal, and that is to save sinners. It's the same center, or it's the same role that Christ came uh, to complete. Paul warned about preachers uh, taking uh, brethren away. From the truth. He says, if any man, the temple of God, uh, if any man destroys the temple of God, him shall God destroy. So God's going to judge those uh, who are preaching things willingly that are in error. And they were doing it there at Corinth. And Paul says, the true test of your preachers is faithfulness. Look at your preachers. More so, listen to your preachers. Follow along with Scripture. Read the Scriptures. Think about what the preacher said afterwards. Ask questions on what you don't understand or what doesn't match up. That's the true test as to whether or not you're in a sound church. Is your preacher preaching the gospel? Is he preaching uh, the Scripture? And so what Paul is saying is, if you are guilty, here in this church, you need to repent. And that's what God does daily. Whether it's through hurricanes or tornadoes or storms or sickness, uh, God is daily calling out men and women, sinners, to repent. And Paul said, that's exactly what I'm doing. The same thing Jesus said. You know, Jesus got quite harsh with the Pharisees. And he got quite harsh with his disciples. And sometimes he got really harsh with his apostles. It's out of love to cause one to repent. Then we talked about the problem of incest, where there was a brother there at the church of Corinth. He was living with his father's wife. There were a lot of things going on there. And the problem was that they were uh, acceptable of this. They hadn't done anything to correct it, and it was still going on. And he was concerned that as long as they tolerated this, they were going to have others to say, well, you know, he does it. Why can't I do it? And before you know it, they would be back to practicing fornication and sin. And so his message was, uh, again, I think, like we just talked about in chapter 16, to, to start getting strong and learn how to correct these problems. Uh, and then he goes into uh, what could happen and what may have been happening there at the Church of Corinth with uh, not only uh, going to uh, law against each other, but this problem of fornication. Uh, when one brother takes another to court, uh, he brings shame upon himself in the church, as we said. And he lists a long list of things after talking about settling your differences. 
and having the church do that, he, he leads up to this point on fornication. And we looked at that list, go back and look at the PowerPoint slides of adulterers and drunkards, fornicators. They're not going to get into heaven. No matter what church you go to, not what title you claim, uh, how good you may be to the poor or whatever, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And unlike what they were hearing from the Gnostics, the body has every bit to do with your salvation. What it does, how it conducts itself, what it says, what it hears, what it hears, uh, because it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's where the Spirit needs to reside and dwell in. And so to avoid fornication, he told them to flee fornication and be aware that their bodies did have an impact on salvation. In chapter 7, uh, Paul answered some questions about marriage. There were some present uh, distresses going on, probably persecution we talked about. Not sure exactly, but we can uh, infer from some of the things uh, that it probably was persecution. Whatever it was, was causing them to think uh, whether or not they should marry or not. Uh, whether or not uh, having been married to uh, a Christian or a non-Christian. And so they had lots of questions for Paul about marriage. And I think some of these were good questions. You know, if something's uh, going on like this uh, coronavirus or, or, or a war or uh, something that affects the entire nation or of the world, then I think we're going to think twice about getting married or fulfilling our uh, proposal or our uh, promise to marry. Uh, but one of the things they talked about in marriage was abstinence. And this came with this uh, idolatry that they had once been a part of, uh, that abstaining from uh, sexual relations with the wife uh, was becoming commonplace. And Paul said it should never be commonplace. Uh, that's why uh, marriage was instituted for the husband and the wife uh, to uh, have those passions towards one another and to be able to uh, quench those passions with each other. And so as he talks about uh, that, he also addresses the part about Christians being married to those who are not Christians. And basically the instructions for the Christian uh, who's married to a non-Christian are the same given to a Christian maid. Love her. Stay with her. Don't put her away. Love her. You know, your behavior may uh, influence her, but it may not. But the thing Paul said was, don't treat the non-believer any different as a husband or a wife uh, than the one who is a believer. And he's, what he's saying when he, when he does this and when he's talking about uh, marriage and, and uh, the puzzling thing about should I marry or not, he's trying to protect them from all the things that are going on in their world at this time. It's a present distress. Uh, certainly, if it was persecution, we said, it would uh, be a very difficult burden for someone who was married. You think about all the things that took place in the Roman Empire and persecution to Christians with separation of families, uh, mothers watching their children killed before them, husbands watching their wives and, and uh, vice versa, uh, maybe being separated or drafted into the army. It was a, it was a difficult time. And Paul said, you, you need to be careful and you need to think about those things. Uh, and he, this idea of I wish everybody was like me and single, he's not saying uh, don't marry. He's just saying, you know, I, I devote myself to the Lord. And with marriage, there are a lot of things to consider, and particularly with his present distress. But even without the present distress, you worry about your wife's health and you worry about your husband's uh, ability to uh, think and reason and all of the things that come up with a marriage and arguments over uh, the things that you argue about. Chapters 8 and 10, uh, talk, 8, 9, and 10 rather, talked about uh, meat sacrifice to idols. 
and they were having a problem as to whether they were okay. And Paul said there's nothing inherently sinful in eating these meats, whether they've been offered to an idol or not. It's not about this knowledge that they claimed to have, that there was no God they were really worshiping. They were just uh, doing that to get a free meal. Well, Paul said, don't do that. There's nothing wrong with eating meat, but if there's a brother or a sister who's over at your house eating, and you've got this big plate of nice meat, and usually the meat that was offered to idols was the choicest uh, meat of that animal. And they say, hey, where'd you get this? Oh, I got it uh, down at the market. They just off, off, uh, offered it to an idol a while ago. And they say, well, I'm not going to eat that. Well, then you don't need to eat that either. But he says, you need to be patient with that uh, weaker brother and just don't eat it. He takes that break that we talked about in chapter uh, 9 when he said, you know, I could have taken money from you. you. I could have demanded you support me as an apostle or a preacher, but I didn't. I did it because I love uh, preaching the word and I love you. And so he had denied himself certain things uh, that he could have enjoyed because he wanted to further the cause of Christ. That's the same thing they needed to do. Some of the things that it was okay for them to do if it caused a brother to stumble, don't do it. Abstain from it. And he says, though I'm free from all men, yet I made myself a servant to all, that I may gain the more. Does that sound familiar? Oughtn't we to be servants to esteem one another more highly than ourselves? To seek the lowest and we'll be exalted, because if we seek the exalted, we're going to be lowered. And so the exercise that we need to do today also is that we need to honor each other. And if someone is offended uh, by something we uh, do or something uh, we eat or whatever it may be, then we ought to just say, okay, I'm not going to do that. Self-denial. It's a condition for salvation, Paul said there in uh, verses 24 and 27 of chapter 9. That's what Jesus taught, isn't it? About humbling ourselves, denying ourselves, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me, deny the world and do all of these things. It's, it's another core value of salvation and it's important. And then he went on to talk about Israel and, and they enjoyed a lot of blessings. Some of those enjoyed by Christians, but not all of them received, uh, went to the promised land. They didn't receive the inheritance that they were working for. Why? Well, he goes on to talk about their idolatry and their murmuring and their complaining, uh, never satisfied with God and always looking uh, to those people around them and what they had and, and never being content or thankful. Whatever conduct we display privately, publicly, or in the service, worship service should bring glory to God. It should be done with love. It should be done with zeal. We ought to conduct ourselves so that we don't give offense to the world uh, today. As he told them, the Gentiles, the Jews, or the fellow Christians conduct and behave ourselves as a dwelling for uh, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 11 addressed the uh, subject of women and the Lord's Supper. Uh, we might say it talked about the veil and the problems with the Lord's Supper. And in talking about this covering, the problem there you remember was that the women in Corinth, in the church at Corinth, some of them had spiritual gifts, had been given those things. And because of that, they thought they didn't no longer had to wear the veil. Why they, were they wearing it in the first place? They were wearing it as a sign of submission to man, to their husbands. And they wore them uh, Monday through uh, Saturday. But on Sunday, some of them were taking them off. And Paul says, you're still submissive to man. And so if you're not going to wear them on uh, Sunday, which is which was a tradition, it wasn't a command. It was a tradition that they had grown up with. It was something they did, uh, but it was not a law. It wasn't written in the in the old law. Uh, but woman, uh, in taking her covering off, 
many of them also felt that they had a right to speak in the assembly, which they were forbidden to. And so uh, what Paul is saying, if you wear the veil uh, Monday through Saturday, wear it on Sunday because you are submissive to man, but you're submissive to God the Son and God the Father as well. If you're going to have this open display of your submissiveness, then make sure it's every day of the week. And as far as the Lord's Supper, Paul uh, just described one that's pitiful. We ought to be careful how we partake of the Lord's Supper and partake of it in a worthy manner. And that worthy manner means to have our mind focused on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That's our faith. That's our joy. That's our salvation. When we think of what it took to <coughs> wash our sins away, how could we possibly devote such an act, such a fellowship designed to be with Christ and our brethren in remembrance of what Jesus did for us? They had turned it into a class matter. In chapters 12 through 14, we spent a great deal of time talking about miraculous spiritual gifts. And you remember there were nine listed. We won't go into those. You can go back and look at the, the PowerPoint slides. But these were gifts bestowed on certain Christians who were able to speak uh, foreign languages without any training, who were able to interpret those, who were able to prophesy and other things. Uh, they were given for... Uh, the edification of the of the saints they were different but they were given by the same spirit in verse 4 they were administered in different ways but by the same lord and there was a diversity of how uh, the operations was to be done of those spirit of those spiritual gifts when they were to be used how they were to be used but they were all to be used as a confirmation of the speaker that indeed he was of God, confirmation of the word, the gospel, that it indeed was the word of God. And they were going to uh, be given to bring, a, bring the congregation into closer unity and to bring them closer together with a great demonstration of God's power in these works for the glorification of God, but they were glorifying themselves. There was no unity there. It was every man and woman for themselves. They worked against each other. And so Paul had to tell them that these things are going to go away pretty soon. Towards the end of the first century, they were going to go away. Why? Because they'd fulfilled their purpose. Uh, they were giving them primarily without any sort of love. And we, we dwelt on chapter 13 as being a vital part of, of the chapter before and the chapter after to show, uh, as Paul said, it doesn't matter what you can do, whether you can preach the gospel, uh, whether you have a miraculous uh, faith or whether you have the ability to speak foreign languages. If love's not connected to it, they don't amount to a hill of beans. And he said prophecy is better than uh, speaking of tongues. And, and they had thought speaking of tongues, that's just great. I can, I can say anything I want to. And uh, I, can, I can speak in these tongues and nobody else can. I didn't even go to school for it. And they were talking over each other. And somebody was over here pre uh, preaching. And somebody was over here speaking in a foreign language. But uh, Paul said you ought to uh, desire prophecy. Why? Because it edifies the whole congregation. If I'm speaking into a foreign tongue, I'm speaking to that one who may come into the congregation who doesn't speak our language. But if I'm prophesying, if I'm teaching, if I'm standing before the whole congregation, I'm edifying, I'm building it up because they understand, they understand the concepts and it's, it's not glorifying me. If anybody was truly spiritual, Paul said, you'd recognize that what he's written to them was indeed the word of God. Yes, they were hard things, 
you know, I told my doctor, uh, uh, when was it? Thursday. And I'm glad you tell me like it is, uh, whether it makes me mad, whether it makes me sad, uh, whatever. I want to know the truth. And he, he does. And I, I appreciate that about him. But most of all, I appreciate that about preachers who, when I may say, well, I always understood that passage to mean this. Rather than just fly off the handle, they'll be patient because they want me to understand the truth. And, you know, I might be wrong. I know I, you may not like to hear that at the end of this class. But, you know, I might have said something that may not be correct. And if I did, I want someone who is righteous and someone who is knowledgeable to come to me and say, Iggy, we need to sit down and talk because I think you got uh, something backwards. That's what we ought to do. And they should have known, rather than complain about Paul and him not coming there and writing this letter instead of uh, telling them that in person, they ought to understand what I wrote to you is the word of God. And his final command in, in reference to these things was to do things decently. And that word that means in a good external appearance. If you're, uh, if you've got 26 people in a in an office space, and they're all doing different things, and they're all talking at the same time, and some are talking on the phone, some are talking on the intercom, and this and that, that's not very decent, is it? It's not a good appearance, but it's also out of order. Nothing. Uh, can get done very effectively, let me say. There may be some things that get done, uh, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot of mistakes. And the same can happen in our worship service. All things need to be done uh, with a good appearance and in an orderly manner. Then we talked about the resurrection. We studied that uh, uh, wonderful chapter, which is often called the resurrection chapter, given to Paul who reminds them, because the Gnostics didn't believe in the resurrection. The Gnostics believed that the end of the body was the end of the body, and it was not resurrected. And so Paul felt the need to spend a great deal of time talking to them about this bodily resurrection that's going to happen on the day of judgment when Christ uh, returns. Uh, and that's just a fundamental truth of the gospel. That's why our bodies uh, need to house the Holy Spirit for salvation, as well as Jesus and God in our hearts. That means we ought to be God-focused, Christ-focused, Spirit-focused. And it doesn't matter about our body. It's going to go away to, uh, to dust, but that body is going to be raised. Even as dustly as it may be, I don't know what shape it's going to be in, but we are going to rise in a new body, and we talked about that body. Uh, we don't know what it's going to look like. We know, don't know what it's going to feel like. Uh, but it's going to change, and it's going to be suitable for either heaven or it's going to be suitable for hell, whatever environment uh, that body's going to have to live in. And so as such, we need to be steadfast, like we talked about that soldier, steadfast, unmovable, always. Now listen to this. We sometimes skip over this. He's saying, be steadfast, be immovable. And what's he saying about thirdly? Always, sometimes, always, once a week, always. Abounding, a little bit, abounding. Some, a little bit, always abounding. And I can't drive that home enough in the work of the Lord. We've got a lot to do. I spent many years, uh, wasted years. I've got a lot to do. People say you don't put funny things on Facebook anymore. Well, I do. But I'd rather use that instrument that's being used for uh, idolatry and all sorts of evil uh, as a platform like other brethren are using uh, and doing by preaching the gospel and teaching those who may tune in out of curiosity and find their way to Christ, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Why do we need to do that? 
Being a Christian is hard, isn't it? But he says, be steadfast, be immovable, and always be working. Why? Because we have the assurance of the resurrection and an eternal home in heaven. Don't you want that? Don't you want to go there? Well, we just finished up with chapter 16, talking about the collection and the concluding uh, exhortations. Go back and look at those uh, PowerPoint slides. Let me thank the elders and let me thank uh, Jason and uh, Matt uh, for allowing me to teach. I know it's been difficult. I've been getting used to this format. I'm used to having a lot of you sitting in front of me making faces or, or uh, smiling or encouraging or whatever. You're all a good group, and I miss you so much. I miss being with you. I miss being able to hear your questions and your voices, and I miss all of the the smiles, and uh, I really do, and I pray to God nightly that we'll find a remedy for this, but God's will be done. Until uh, something better, then we're stuck here, but being stuck here is not a bad idea because we can share this. We can send it to people who need to hear this. Uh, we can parse up uh, the sermons. We can parse up uh, the classes uh, on different things. And I know someone who uh, needs to hear about adultery. Here's a class. I know someone who needs to hear about uh, this or that. I need someone who knows how to be a Christian. We have that available here too. What I'm saying is, brethren, thank you, elders, and thank you, uh, Jason and Matt, for letting me teach. It's an important thing to do. I'm just proud to be a part of it. I'm not as good as some of the others and certainly not as good as our next uh, presenter, next teacher. But you've been patient with me. Your comments and your encouragement have been wonderful. And until uh, uh, the next time you know, we're together here, uh, I'll bid you goodbye. God bless you, and may God take care of each and every one of you. Write me if you need me. We'll see you later.